I have to be serious. Let me invite you to turn to your Bible or your, or your iPhone or your iPad. Uh, Matthew chapter 2 That's where we're going to be this morning, the first 12 verses. Tom Warner kicked us off a couple of Sundays ago in looking at this, uh, this visit of the Magi. We're going to consider that, uh, continue to consider that this morning. The question before the house is, how far would you go to bring Jesus your best gift? Now, I want you to think about that for a second. How far would you go to bring Jesus your best gift? Some of you, if you're thinking about it, might say, well, could I get a little clarification, right? Like, how are you going to define best? What exactly does that mean? That might be a question that, that popped through your head. If your immediate reaction was, I'd go anywhere and take anything, would you really go if the distance were halfway around the world? Would you really travel a long way? One of the questions you might ask is, how far is far? I mean, I, 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 I'm a pretty reasonable person. I'd go pretty far, but exactly how far is far? Probably we have more questions before we'd be ready to answer that particular question. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of God. Get on the correct page in my Bible. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we come to worship you this morning with a mixture of emotions and feelings and thoughts. Uh, in the middle of the holiday season, some of us are mindful of those that uh, are no longer with us this year, and some of our thoughts tend towards sadness, melancholy. Father, some of us are rejoicing at, at the new birth of a child, uh, at new life that's entering our family. Or some of us had a, a wonderful week. We got great news at work last week. Others of us are struggling just to try to be halfway civil to the people around us because it's such a struggle. Others, some of us are doing great in school. Others of, or not of us are hoping mom and dad don't see the report card. Father, there are many of us here that, that have uh, what we would call a deep faith in the Lord Jesus. Others of us who are wondering if God exists. Father, thank you that you speak to all of us. Thank you that you know every person in this room. You knew us before we were born. You'll know us long after we're dead. 
And you've brought us to this moment, not because you want anybody to hear me, but because you want to bring your word to bear on every life in this room, including the one who speaks. So, Father, we pray for that. We pray that you would open our eyes and our minds and our heart, whatever our circumstances, whatever our background, whatever our future may hold. Father, we pray that in this moment you would teach us. Please forgive me my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know and to learn and to understand this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the overarching uh, idea of our sermon this morning, sermon in a sentence, goes like this. The faith, the posture, and the generosity of the Persian dignitaries challenge everyone, everywhere, to embrace the true identity of Jesus. We're going to look at, at these Persian dignitaries. That They were from uh, somewhere in the region of Persia, and they traveled a long, long way. Uh, to find this child. And so we want to look and see uh, what their reaction may teach us about ourselves, but what also would teach us not about what great guys they were, but rather what a great God they came to worship. The first thing we want to observe in this particular text is the faith of the Persians. If you go back to the very beginning of chapter 2 of Matthew's gospel, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but they come to Jerusalem. They come asking a question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, when you think about this for a couple minutes, you may uh, kind of step out of the story for a second and ask yourself this question. What evidence did these scholars possess that something big was in the works? These were, I've chosen the correct word this morning, indignitaries. These were leaders in every sense of the word. They were wise men in the sense that they were learned. They were scholars. They were brilliant in whatever field they happened to be in. Think of, think of the person who is the leading person in your field of work. A lot of you probably listen to Tim Keller's sermons. If you listen to Tim Keller, you ask me, who is one of the leading voices in the Christian community in our generation? I, right off the bat, Tim Keller. That's the kind of person that would go on this list. So whether it's science, whether it's industry, whether it's business, whether it's the public sector or the private, these are brilliant people. And we say there are three of them because of the three gifts. There could have been half a dozen. There could have been two of them. We're not sure. We know there was more than one. But what evidence did these brilliant men have to seek out this child? Well, if you look at the text, it says they saw something in the astronomical configuration of the sky. That's not a whole lot to go on. Now, if you study your history a little bit and you put Matthew in the context of all of Scripture, one of the things that you'll find is that there's a book in the Old Testament in the prophets called Daniel. Remember Daniel Lyons then? Anybody hear that story when they were in Sunday school? Right? Okay. And he was around when those other guys, with a funny name, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, remember those? Those guys, he was in that time. He lived in Babylon. He lived in Babylon most of his life, but he was a Jew. He was captured when Jerusalem fell, and he spent all of his adult life in the Persian part of the world. And he wrote a book that is now in the Bible called Daniel, and he speaks to the coming king. When these men started on their journey to find this child, that book was over 500 years old. So they had to have found it, dusted it off, and read it. It was not a current bestseller in the land of Persia. So all that to say, they did not have a tremendous amount to go on. But there was something stirring in their souls. There was something perhaps that they read of the prophetic work of Daniel, and they saw something in the stars that said there was something happening that God was doing that was special. But also notice their heritage. They have no 
Jewish pedigree. They're Gentiles. They're, they're not Jews. Uh, they have no ancestry. They have no local connections. And so the response that they have is to go on a long journey. We don't know how many miles it was exactly. We don't know exactly how far it was, but they weren't, went over clearly the top of the Fertile Crescent and dropped down into Judea. That certainly took them several months at the least. No matter how you stack it up, the form of transportation in that day meant that this was going to be a long and arduous journey. So I've actually, in one of the slides, I've taken the words off, and you can just kind of get a picture of these guys going through the desert uh, on their way. I would suggest that there was faith that was driving them. You don't wake up in the morning on a whim and say, I think I'm going to go because I saw a weird star. I think I'm going to go halfway uh, across the world to try and see what might be going on. That doesn't make any sense. There's no human reason to that. Clearly, God was working in their hearts, and what little evidence they had turned into faith. I have a really good friend at Green Tree. He was in the first service. I picked on him a little bit. Uh, When he was in college, he went to the University of Missouri, and he and I are about the same age, so we're going back to the 1970s. When he was at the University of Missouri, he woke up one morning, and he said, I really got a hankering to see the St. Louis Blues play the Montreal Canadiens in hockey. And so he uh, got up and got a buddy of his and said, let's go. The the Canadiens are playing the Blues. Let's go watch the game. And his buddy, because he's in college, and you know, you, you're not too serious about your studies, maybe. And, oh, sure, road trip. Hops in the car, and they, then they take off. The only problem was the Canadians weren't in town playing the Blues. The Blues were in Montreal two days later playing the Canadians. So they traveled 1,076 miles one way so they could watch the Blues play the Canadians. That's crazy. That makes no sense at all. Why would you do that unless you were a diehard fan? Unless there was something compelling you to do that. There was no real evidence that he should have gone to Montreal because the Blues, I guarantee you, they lost. The Blues didn't win a game in the Montreal Forum until the early 1980s, okay? And yet, in faith, he went on his pilgrimage, right? What were these brilliant men? This wasn't the college kids. These were brilliant men who acted in faith to come and see what God was doing. But also notice not only their faith, notice the posture of these Persian intellectuals. And there are two parts to their posture. First, look at verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says this, after listening to the king, they went on their way. So Herod says, hey, go over to Bethlehem, that's where you'll find him. Behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, I have to save you from being Presbyterian this morning. And I have, to, I, have to, I have to try to redeem you out of the mindset of really formal worship and, and really stiff, unemotional reading of Scripture, right? Because we're Presbyterian, so we sit up straight, and we always obey the rules, do everything we're supposed to, and they rejoice, and there was exceedingly great joy. Isn't that wonderful? We should probably smile, but we can't because we're Presbyterians. And the Bible's kind of sad that way, but that's okay because we're really the happiest people walking on the planet. And we... It's a celebration. They rejoice with exceedingly great joy. You want to know what they look like? This is what they look like. Okay? It's like the fans of Milan. They just won the the international soccer tournament, and they're going crazy. If the Blues ever win the Stanley Cup, you'll see me painted blue running down Market Street screaming with my shirt off. That's a terrible thought, isn't it? Just get that out of your mind as fast as you can. Can we have a little fun around here? They were rejoicing with exceedingly great joy. They've been riding a camel for 1,100 miles. 
and the trip's over. You're going you're to throw a party just because of that. When's the last time you got really excited because you, you just spent some time with Jesus? Because the Lord just, just spoke into your life, and you just want to dance. just want to celebrate. Warner dances with eggy pancakes. I heard about that. I didn't get a picture of it. I heard about that a couple weeks ago. When's the last time that we just celebrated because we belong to him? Because God found us and God redeemed us. When uh, 2006, the Cardinals won the World Series. And it's the, it's the night of the world. It's actually the next morning, but it's still nighttime. And my phone goes off at about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I'm trying to wake myself up. You're a pastor and your phone goes off at 2 o'clock in the morning. It usually is not a good sign. It usually means that something, something terrible has happened. I pick up my phone and said, hello. And at the other end, somebody says, dude, where are you? Nathan, you know that my oldest son is about both my sons are here this morning. You know the story I'm telling. I'm like, not with you, dude. And it's a good thing, whoever you are, because if I were with you, I'd kill you right now. Right? It's Chris Rowland, one of my, one of Nate's friends. And those of you who know Chris go, well, that's clear. You know, <laughs> that sounds like Chris called the wrong number, you know, got down to Nate Ricks and accidentally punched in Tom Ricks and they were at the baseball game together. And so he's like, I said, uh, uh, Chris, and he's like, Mr. Ricks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry. We're at the celebration and we're going crazy. And, and I couldn't find Nate. He got lost in the crowd. We got separated. I'm just, because he's got the car. I don't know. I'm going to get home. They were celebrating. They were partying. They were going crazy. Why? Because they won the World Series. There's a time to celebrate. That's the right posture when you meet Jesus. So before they did anything else, they celebrated. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. But look at what else they did. Their celebration turned to reverence. Look at verse 11. And when they came into the house, they saw the child, Mary's mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped. This is no ordinary king. Anybody know who that picture is on the screen? Who is that? A little bit louder. Who? Prince William, right? Who is the second in line, uh, the Duke of Cambridge, second in line at the House of Windsor, uh, to the throne. And he's more recently, some of you that are younger, he was born in 1982. Uh, that looks like uh, a 1982 dress that his mom is wearing behind him. Um, but he's had a son, uh, Prince George, who was born in 2013. So those of you that are younger might, might know Prince George. When, when uh, England had Prince Andrew, and then again when they've had Prince George, everybody's celebrating, right? Everybody, everybody's there, fireworks are going off, and everybody's having a great time. And, and all the dignitaries of England come in, and, the, and they pay their respects to the new child. But you know what they don't do? They don't, they don't fall on their faces and worship. Nobody worshipped Andrew when he was born. It's not appropriate. These, these are, let me remind you, these are, are like, governors. <laughs> These are, this is like the secretary of state walking in the room. If secretary of state walking in the room right now, we kind of say, uh, would you like to say something to everybody? You would honor them, but you wouldn't fall down and worship them. This is no ordinary king. And yet whatever is stirring in their hearts and moving in their hearts, it's driving them not only to celebration, but it's driving them to worship. It's good for us to be together on Sunday mornings. It's good for us not just to, to sing Christmas carols during the Christmas season, but to worship God individually and collectively all year long. Why? Because we were made for that relationship. We were made to celebrate. We were made to worship. The posture of the, of the Persian dignitaries teaches us a lesson. Thirdly, not only the faith and the posture, but notice the generosity of the Persians. Look at the second half of verse 11. Then opening their treasures. Some of your translations say gifts. That's a faulty translation. The word there is treasures. Opening their treasures, that which was most precious to them. 
They offered him gifts, gold, which Tom talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. Gold being the, the medal of the kings. That's the appropriate gift to bring a king. You didn't bring a king silver. You, you, didn't, you didn't bring him some jasmine. You didn't, you didn't bring him a nice polished emerald. You brought a king gold. And Jesus is the king of kings. That was an appropriate gift. But they also opened up the gift of frankincense and of myrrh. We'll talk about myrrh actually on Christmas Eve. But frankincense is the aroma of worship. When you leave this morning, if you got that back door and you got into the hallway, there's a little wooden table out there right in front of the glass. And especially for the, for the children, if you guys want to do this, but adults can too. Uh, there are two little candles that are on that table that are burning. If you want to know what frankincense smells like, go buy one of those candles and, and smell that because the oil in there is frankincense. So what it smelled like when, the, when those guys walked into Jesus's house that day is what it smells like. Isn't that cool? 2,000 years later, you could smell the exact same smell. But the, 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 the spice of frankincense in the nation of Israel was used for two things. The first it was used to mix in with the oil when you anointed the priest to start his priestly duties. So if I was going to be a priest in, in Old Testament Israel, they would put oil on me and anoint me. That'd be part of my ordination service. And frankincense was mixed into that, to that oil. But it was also used for one of the offerings at the temple. It was the offering of, called the meal offering. And the meal offering only did one thing. It only served one purpose. It was an offering of thanksgiving. It was an offering of praise to God for his provision. And by giving Jesus frankincense, by giving him this wonderful spice, this wonderful aromatic gift, they're signifying that our worship to God now flows through our priest, the Lord Jesus. We now have an advocate before the Father. You don't need a person to be your priest. You have the second person of the Godhead himself is going to be our high priest. The generosity of the Persians was truly amazing. Now, you think about it when when somebody special is born, you want to give a, you want to give a nice gift, right? So uh, Thursday, Katie and my daughter, Katie, and, and their husband, Richard, are coming to town uh, with granddaughter Mia, fourth grandchild, right? And I haven't ever met Mia. So I have a feeling I'm going to be a little bit blubbery when they get off the plane. I'm going to start to talk about now because I'll say, don't you look at me. I'm going to start, I'm going to start crying. And I could, I'm going to turn around and preach like this for just a little while. So last summer I called Katie. I said, I want to get a special gift for my granddaughter. Well, what, 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 do you, what, do you, what would be special? She goes, Dad, I could really use a stroller. So immediately this popped into my mind. Okay, I'm going to get her a stroller. <laughs> the people laughing are people that haven't bought a stroller in the last in the last 15 years, right? So I get this in my mind, and this is kind of what we pushed our kids around, and they seem to do okay. I don't even think we had the little top covering thing. Uh, But then I started doing a little bit of research on strollers and found that they look a little bit different today. Um, This is a limited edition put out by Jeep. If you got close enough, you could actually see it says Jeep right above that front tire. Uh, It comes with all the amenities. It's fully air-conditioned. It has Bluetooth. It has uh, 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 rack and, and it's got all kinds of suspension and it's got a little thing so you don't lose mom or dad you just strap them on there and and... i mean that's a that's a gift right there and let me tell you something those suckers don't cost 75 (laughs) dollars not even close um and i didn't care one whit didn't matter to me what it cost because it was in my heart this is my family this is my granddaughter this she's got to look good being pushed around Honolulu, Hawaii. There's probably a lot of competition to look good in Honolulu. I didn't care, I didn't care what it cost. I, don't think, I think when the wise men saw Jesus and they brought these gifts in, I don't think they went, well, now I've got to give them my gold. 
oh yeah, where's that perfume? We go, yeah, I'll give, I guess you better give. No, they were like, they couldn't wait to give to Jesus because he was the one who was giving himself for them. Even though that was an obscure notion in their mind, even though it wasn't as clear as it is for you and for me today, everything about this visit shouts, this child is the king. But I also want you to note there's a warning in this passage for all of us who perhaps are a bit skeptical or not really uh, convinced uh, of the lordship of Jesus. It, It can be true at the same time that Jesus is the king and that I can reject his kingship. God isn't sitting up in heaven right now waiting for me to accept or reject Jesus and immediately going to crush me if I don't. This story paints a very clear picture that you can turn your back on Jesus temporarily and not feel any ramifications from that. How does Herod react? When he heard this, he was troubled. Why was he troubled? Because somebody was trying to replace him on the throne of his own life. Herod only had room for one person in his life, and that was Herod. He even killed members of his own family to protect his own political well-being. And yet how that's a reflection in my life sometimes. I don't want to share the, the, the lordship of my life with anybody else. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. Why? Because Herod was eventually going to slaughter the children of Bethlehem in order to protect his own lordship. The question is not, is Jesus the king? If you're here wondering what the Bible says about that, the Bible says Jesus is the king, not a king, not one of several. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you can choose not to believe that this morning. Herod clearly choose not to believe, chose not to believe it. Because the, but here's the more important question. The more important question is, is Jesus my king? I don't think the long journey is between Persia and Judea, quite frankly. I think the longer journey and the harder journey is from my feet to my knees. When I really actually personally bow before the Lordship of Christ, I don't stand in defiance. I don't make excuses for my unbelief. I simply fall to my knees and I say, you're my king. You're my Lord. Because ultimately at the end of the day, when I bow before Jesus in worship, when I joyfully give my life to him, when I receive his grace through faith, the same way that these men received it was through faith, I'm actually trusting his gift for me. Because no matter what my best gift is that I can ever give Jesus, it it pales in comparison to what he's done for me. Jesus gave his life for me on the cross. He paid the price for my guilt, for my sin, for my rebellion, and he set me free, and he now brought me into the family of God. That's how far Jesus went. See, the, the story isn't about how far the Magi went, what they brought. The story is about how far the Son of God went and the gifts that he brought to us, the gift of eternal life that he brought to us. Is Jesus your king this morning? Is he my king this morning? Because this world needs Jesus to be our king. Your marriage, if you're married, your spouse needs Jesus to be your king because you'll be better in your marriage if Jesus is your king. Your family, your children, your grandchildren need Jesus to be the king of your life because you'll be stronger and and more loving and kind and gracious. This church needs people in this church where Jesus is our king. Our community needs a group of people where Jesus is the king that we submit our lives to him and that we love others unconditionally in the same way he has loved us. Your co-workers, if you're a student, your fellow student and your teachers need Jesus to be your king. The poor of Kirkwood and St. Louis need Jesus to be our king and the rich of St. Louis and Kirkwood need Jesus to be our king. White, black, Hispanic, Asian. The world needs a king who can save. 
The world needs the one who was born in Bethlehem to whom we brought these gifts. The world needs people who belong to King Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the mysterious way you you spoke into these men's hearts and minds and compelled them to leave their home and go on a journey that, that had to have lasted for months, if not years. Not to mention the return journey. Thinking of my buddy going to Montreal and having a great time at the game and then going, oh my gosh, now we've got to drive all the way back home. And yet you were doing something in their heart that spoke of the power of your gospel. That which we see more clearly this morning through the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus as a sacrifice for the sins of this world. Father, we do live in a broken world. There's no doubt about it. It's no coincidence that that gun sales are going through the roof. People trying to find a way to protect themselves. We're more divided perhaps than ever before. This world needs people who belong to King Jesus that we could speak his peace, his truth, and his salvation into our homes, into our schools, into our neighborhoods, into this city and beyond. Lord Jesus, make us your people by your grace and by your power. We pray in your name. Amen.